before we start today's episode. First of all, I apologize that we did not publish last week. We ran into some technical difficulties with Reaper. In other words, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and I needed a Reaper training lesson with Scott to get me past a little bit of a, an issue. So thank you, Scott. <laughs> and we're back up and running again. I was hoping to publish Sunday afternoon, but we had a child puke in our bed. So that took care of any hopes of publishing Sunday afternoon. I did get a great compliment though before the uh, sick child incident. I had a friend that I ran into and she said, hey, you didn't publish. What's up with that? You're becoming a part of my week, which was awesome. That made me happy. So if we are becoming a part of your week, a couple of favors to ask if you are willing. First of all, would you kindly write a review of the podcast or rate us? That always helps. And our second favor is, would you pass it on to a friend or somebody you know who might enjoy listening? It's always fun to have listeners out there. According to Pinecast, we are up to 224 overall listens at the time of making this recording, that is, and our goal is 250. <laughs> so if you would pass that on, that'd be great. Today's episode and what we will publish for the next three weeks is an interview that Tyler and I did with a dear friend from the blind community. At the age of 22, our friend was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, which is a degenerative eye disease, which will eventually lead to total blindness. And our three-part interview that you will hear today, next Saturday and the Saturday after, is his story and how he picked up the pieces of his life and found ways to adapt and be successful as a blind person. So we hope you enjoy. As always, we are cripparenting at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast. If you have any questions for us, We'd be happy to hear those. And if you have a story to tell and you'd like to come on to the podcast, we'd love to hear from you as well. Hope you enjoy today's episode and we'll be back next week. So we are back with episode six. Of Crip Parenting. And Welcome, we, everyone. We have a guest. Hi, everyone. Yes, I'm so excited because our, um, what do you call it, tagline? Yes, Yeah. tagline. Tagline. How we adapt. How we adapt. And so... By we, we don't mean just you and me. 
Tyler, and we don't just mean adapting to parenting, but we mean how disabled per people adapt to life. So our first guest is one of my favorite people that I've met through the blind community, Ray Wright, and you are a professional woodworker yes. and teacher. Yeah. 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 So hooray to have you on. We're happy Thank to you. have you. Yeah. We've been sitting around chatting up a storm for <laughs> like 30 minutes and thought we should record. <laughs> Talk about your experiences growing up as a disabled, or like, because you're not, you, you're, um, what's the word, Tyler? Adventitiously? Uh, you've got an acquired yeah. Yeah. disability. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't know I was going, wasn't diagnosed with my eye disease till I was 22. Yeah, yeah, but you have disabled family members. Do you want to talk yeah. about that? Sure. So my, I, I guess my first introduction to disabilities was um with my sisters my i have two sisters that are younger than me and they were both born deaf so um growing up that was just just part of them it really wasn't a disability other than they had to start school when they were three years old uh, going to school every day and and that and i didn't have to stop start until five so did everybody learn ASL, American Sign Language, or? No, no, that that was interesting. So, so Kathy, my my, uh, um, well, she's not. They're both younger, but mm -hmm. the older of the two sisters, she uh, um, when she went in the early '60s to to school or mid '60s, uh, lip reading was the the way to. Um, you were educated if you were deaf. So she learned wow. to lip read. And then when, when Patty, my other sister, uh, when she started going to school, it, it was, what, eight years later, sign language was, was more of the, uh, the thought process that was better. So they grew up with two different types of education. And... The later on, Kathy learned sign language, but today, uh, Kathy, she can hold a conversation with anybody. She has what I call a thick deaf accent. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit hard to understand, but the more you're around her, the more more and easier it is to understand. Where Patty, who just signs, is pretty much mute. Mm -hmm. So for me, communicating. Um, with them, I know. I know um, the basic, some basic signs, the alphabet, and that. But Kathy can lip read, and so it's much easier to communicate with her. And for me, Patty and I, we pretty much text each other back and forth because mm. um, that's easier than trying to um, get signed uh, in your hand or signing into their hand well i don't have to sign into their hands because they can see my sign language right but, right <laughs> but um but what's really interesting about this is is kathy who lip reads she she actually works for the sheriff's department um here in salt lake city mm -hmm. wow. and uh yeah she's been with them for 20 some odd years now and and um so she she works alongside hearing uh, people in the in the office and and all of that, and 
she just comes and communicates no problem where Patty works with um, uh, special needs um, people um, like in-home care and, and mm. that kind of thing. Um, and she used to work with some coma patients and stuff where really communication wasn't wasn't an issue. It was more of the health care and that type of thing. So that yeah. was that was my first introduction to a disability, which I didn't really think anything of it. And then I guess it just occurred to me I had a aunt and uncle um, where my uncle had a wooden leg. And uh, so he lost his leg when he was 17 um, due to bone cancer. Mm. And so um, growing up, it was, it was just Uncle Danny with a, with a wooden leg. And, and his wife, um, my Aunt Lola, she had polio when she was a little girl. So she was on crutches all the time. So to me, I guess I just kind of, it was just normal to have all sorts of different um, disabilities. And I did have a great aunt. Her and her husband were blind. And I I was just little I, in that. But I just remember we'd go and visit and I'd sit there. And and uh, I remember one day my uncle gave me one of his old glass eyes. So that was the coolest thing about me. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I would walk around and hold it in my hand so I could see out of my hand. I love that. <laughs> That's funny. What not. So, yeah. Did your sisters ever talk about um, whether they'd wished, you know, the one, one that they'd wished they'd learned sign or lip reading or what that was like for them to have two different, totally different versions of education? Uh, if they have, I really, really don't don't know. I Well, what's interesting now is is Patty, who learned to sign, her written English is better than than Kathy's, who learned to lip read. Huh. So, like, when I get a text from Patty, it's all pretty much, you know, grammatically right, and as 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 most texts go, mm-hmm. where Kathy's is is more almost like I understand what she's saying, but. But, um, and of course, I can't think of an example right now, but, but it, there's just a few, few words like, um, I, oh, she might say, I'm coming over sooner mm, instead mm-hmm. of I'm coming over soon. And, and little things like that, that, that you just notice that, that it's not 100% correct. <laughs> so, so, yeah, Patty doesn't speak, but her written is... English is much better, and Kathy can speak, but her written English is poor. So I don't know if that's. I remember hearing somewhere that that teaching deaf kids ASL. I mean, I don't know a whole lot about it, but that it's it's really valuable because it will help with reading and writing later. Well, it, and it's what's really interesting because you know you're talking about parenting and stuff. So, so unfortunately, Kathy couldn't have kids, so she, she never had any of her own. But Patty has four kids, mm-hmm. and all of them had a vocabulary of about 100 words in sign language before they could speak their first word. Wow, that's um, awesome. So, so 
my nieces and nephew, they could, you know, ask for milk or or ice cream they wanted to eat. They wanted to go outside. Uh, you know, they they learned to say no in sign language, uh, um, you know, real quick. Now, I think part of that is because uh, I should say my brother-in-laws, both of their husbands are, are uh, deaf or hard of hearing. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a lot of speech in the household. So I... That, that probably had something, but but then they were around a lot of aunts and uncles and grandparents and and um, that that could speak. So yeah, I, I don't know. It's just just interesting that uh, doing the um, the sign language uh, for for an infant or or whatever. Yeah, that, it's more natural than speaking. Yeah, really yeah, right. they could they could get their point across instead of just crying or or. Right. Being frustrated for both both of them. My kids learn to take me places. <laughs> I want that. Yeah. <laughs> my hand on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think kids are amazing because they'll get their point across. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes, yeah. they will. They will find a way no matter what. <laughs> so, um, talk. let's talk about you and your blindness and what happened and... Okay, so so I grew up sighted, um, normal childhood. Uh, you know, went to regular regular schools, and that sixteen, I got my driver's license. Uh, that I was kind of clumsy in sports uh, in school, and and sometimes a little bit awkward and whatnot. Um, some sports like like football or baseball or anything that requires um catching something or or whatever was I wasn't any good at at all but but uh archery I I was really good at yeah it's just kind of interesting I just thought well some people have a knack for one sport and some have a knack for another sport and didn't really think much about it mm-hmm. and I got a job when I was 16 working working in a movie theater as an usher and doorman and so Worked my way up the ranks to uh, um, an assistant manager when I turned 18 and and that, and then uh, a manager when I was uh, 21. And then one day I was uh, uh, changing the, the movie posters in the poster case. It was a blustery, windy day. And so the poster cases the, were about... Oh, I don't know. Probably about eight eight feet wide and uh, five feet tall. Had big sliding glass panes of gl- a glass in them, and uh, I had it opened up. And I was changing the poster, and I bent down to pick up the uh, the old post or the new poster to put it in place of the old. And a gust of wind came up and popped the glass out of mm. out of the case, oh. and. Uh, it came crashing down over my head and and shattered into a million pieces and mm. and oh. um so i i you know staggered a little bit and and uh had a lot of little what the doctor ended up calling chicken scratches i was wearing a white shirt and 
a tie and and so my shirt was shredded and there was all these streaks of blood so they rushed me oh. to the emergency room checked everything out it was just little scratches and nothing requiring stitches or anything but i had a concussion they had me read the eye chart and it was kind of blurry and they said well you should follow up with a uh, with an eye doctor next week because um, this was on a on a friday and so i went to the um eye doctor the following week and he gave me an eye exam and he asked me uh, how long have you had RP and wow. I, I said what's RP he said retinitis pigmentosa and I said what's that he says oh it's an eye disease that's causing you to go blind oh my and gosh I, I said I don't have that he wow. goes I think you do wow I said um well how long do I have Oh. And he said, he said, oh, a couple of years. Or no, he said, oh, you'll probably be blind by the time you're 30. And I said, oh, well, that, that gives me a few years. I was 22. Uh-huh. And, uh, and he, he, says, he says, no, that should give you a couple of years. Aren't you 28? I said, no, I'm 22. And he said, oh, well, a- anyway, he says, yeah, from the looks of it in your eyes with the pigment and the retinas and that, you're you're legally blind. Wow. And I'm like, no way, I can oh. see. I, I I didn't mention earlier that, that photography was my um my hobby. Oh. I uh I took photography in high school when I was sixteen and and that was the camera was, was my love, you know. Oh. So so that was kind of shocking and so I Were you drove, sad? Or scared, or what were you? What were you? Do you remember D- what you dumbfounded were more? I was just kind of like, "Well, what does this mean?" Mm-hmm. You know, I I guess I didn't didn't really know what um, what to think. You, you know, so because I could see, I could read. I I didn't wear glasses. I I uh, um, you know, I drove. I was you know everything. Uh, you think someone that's legally blind wouldn't be able to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the doctor set me up for a, uh exam to get it tested for sure at, at USC. And I, I, I grew up in the L.A. area, Southern California. So I went to USC and had the test done, and it, it confirmed that I had RP. So I thought, well, let's get a second opinion. And my mom was a, a nurse, and so she, she said, yeah, let's go. So I went to UCLA. My mom did some research and found out that one of the best eye people and doctors, uh, Dr. Hecken Lively, who basically wrote the book on RP, and this was in the early 80s. He was at UCLA once, so I went and saw him and, and uh, yeah, got diagnosed with um, with the RP and I had 20 degrees of vision at the time, but I didn't have night blindness. So I thought, okay, well, so I can't see so good. That explains why in third grade when I was playing baseball at, at recess or at, in PE, that that uh, when the catcher or threw the ball to me uh, to catch it to get the guy running towards me out, the ball was coming towards me, disappeared, and then ended up smacking me right in the eye and oh. sending me to the uh, 
to go see the principal and the nurse and and I got a black eye and and uh, which was cool when you were in third grade. Um, but RP is like you end up. My understanding is that you end up with this teeny like pinhole of. I mean, it can be a pinhole of twenty twenty vision. Yeah. So so RP. The two main symptoms are is tunnel vision and night blindness. Mm. So at the time when when I had this twenty degrees of vision. You know, a, a regular person can hold their hands out to their side and, and see their hands pretty much straight out to their sides or maybe just in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, I could never do that, but I didn't know that other people could. So it, it, right. it, I didn't know what I was missing because I never had it. So I think I was born with it, but and it just deteriorated. So it's a degenerative disease mm. that gets worse over time. I still drove. I still went to work. I just continued life on it like nothing, nothing had happened. Um, and then uh, when I was 25, I was going over to a friend's house and um, I was driving there. I did. I did at that time decide not to have any friends in, in my car with me. I would just mm-hmm. drive to and from work and drive alone or meet people somewhere or get in their car or whatever. So, cause, um, maybe I was being selfish, but I didn't want to be responsible for, <laughs> for, uh, anyone in my car mm-hmm. knowing that I probably shouldn't have been driving. In fact, the, the low vision doctor that, that I was seeing used to kind of have a fit cause I would drive to and from my doctor's appointments. <laughs> anyway, I'm driving over to, to go meet up with a friend. We were going to go to the movies uh, that night and I was on the freeway and it was a kind of a dusk, you know, the sun was setting and it was a drizzly kind of gray day, not a lot of contrast and whatever. Anyway, I'm on the freeway and I went to change lanes and I was going to change uh, over on into the uh, turn lanes to the right and at the same time, there was a lady merging into the same lane from the left, going to the left. And anyway, my my bumper, my front bumper touched her back bumper. Ooh. And and it was just a tap. We didn't, it didn't cause anything. But she she went and turned on her flashers and pulled off the freeway. And I, I followed her off and because it was starting to rain, uh, we pulled under an underpass and and that. We got out and I didn't see any damage and she didn't see any damage, but she went to call the, the California Highway Patrol. So while we were waiting for the chip, he, and he, you know, it took a while uh, for him to get there. I was walking around looking at my car, looking at hers. And when I walked around, um, she had a little little girl a little toddler, maybe two, three years old, sitting in her front seat. And and at the time, there wasn't car seats or right. anything <laughs> like that. So, so, you know, it was... But the little girl was just sitting there and smiling, and I looked into her eyes and... And uh, still... Sorry. No, you're good. Still kind of affects me that I thought, here I didn't want my friends to ride with me 
um, because I was being selfish. I never really thought about anyone else around me huh. in in their cars. And I thought, boy, if anything had happened to that little girl because of my selfishness, I um, I don't know what what uh, what I would have done. So um, the highway patrol came and. He basically he basically looked at our cars and said, "Why are you wasting my time and get out of here and whatever?" And so, and there wasn't cell phones back then either. So I I asked him. I said, "Could you could you call my friend and tell her that I'm the reason I'm late and I, I'll call her when I get home and I'm I'm not you know going to the movies or going over there now." And so. I got in the car and and drove home and pulled into the driveway and got out and thought I can't drive anymore. And that's when the blindness really affected me is thought how am I going to get to work uh and working in the in the theaters at night. That was that was the hard part because I you know the buses don't run at night and two o'clock in the morning, or at least not not where I was working in that. And and I should say I, before this I had gone to Boston. I was a lab rabbit and some tests for RP with mm. different kinds of vitamins that they were they were testing back in the, the mid eighties, and uh, um, and it never really proved anything or whatever. But I. I would fly back to Boston from LA on my own. I'd I'd go um, do the tests on, we had to be there for two days. So I scheduled, I'd fly on Thursday, be there on Friday for the tests. And then I had the weekend to go sightseeing. Hmm. And uh, it was cool. I went and saw the Boston Pops at the Hatch Show oh. on Friday night and um, with my eyes dilated and all that. <laughs> but, but uh yeah and then I'd go and do all the Boston sightseeing stuff and that so yeah it was kind of like it never really hit me even though I was doing eye tests for for this blindness study and whatnot that what blindness you know really was and so then I um had to stop I, I I couldn't work anymore at least not what I was doing so I went to my um boss and and told them that this is what's going on and and uh they said well if we found you another position would you be interested and i said well sure but what can i do i can't work at night well the company that i worked for uh owned drive-ins and and hard tops or walk-in movie theaters Mm -hmm. and so um, they had swap meets during the day. Oh, and that was another thing. My night vision was starting to, to go out worse. Mm. So so I uh, thought, well, yeah, a daytime job, a swap meet, flea market or whatever you want to call it, it would be great. So I did that for about a year and a half, but I, I really hated it. <laughs> um, but it was a job and it was close to home so I could I could take the bus or get a ride or walk if 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 i uh, had to and uh a lot of times some one you know some other employee would be uh would swing by and pick me up at home so that was really nice or drop me off or or something so what were you doing at swap meets i was the uh assistant manager mm. um 
there. So ran the ran the swap meet. We had the snack bar and we had about four hundred vendors and and we'd do about mm, ten or twelve thousand people a day, customers, shoppers oh. coming in. So yeah, I had about uh eighty eighty employees, I guess. So it was a bigger operation than the walk-ins I was in, but uh um but I just didn't just didn't like it. Mm. Um so but movie movies and posters and and visual stuff was always my passion. So so uh uh I heard there was a new vice president in charge of uh, promotions and publicity and marketing advertising and that and it used to annoy me no end that I um um we would get the movie posters and they would be folded up and stuck in with the payroll and kind of get all crinkled and we'd have to kind of flatten them out to put them up and so I called them up and said you don't know me but I work in the swap meet and I think it's a, a there's a crime being committed that's exactly what I said he says what I said, yeah, they're putting these crinkled up movie posters in the cases. It's a, it's a shame. They're beautiful pieces of art. <laughs> and wow. and um, he laughed and said, oh, well, you know what? As a matter of fact, one of the first things I've done is I've ordered some poster tubes. So they'll be shipped, rolled up in a, in a tube instead of folded up in a, in a pouch. And I didn't think anything of it. About two months later, I got a call saying... We have an opening in the corporate office. Would you be interested? Oh. Mm. And I said, sure. So uh, I went in and interviewed and and that, and they offered me the job. But the one concern they had, because mm. they knew about my eye problem, mm. was would I be able to get to and from work? Mm. It wasn't whether I could do the job. It was it was could I. Uh, could I get to and from work? It was a 32-mile commute each way. Wow. And I I said to him, um, I said, I tell you what, why don't you give me a probation period? I said, you name it, month, two months, six months, whatever you want it to be. And if I'm late to work one day, then you can let me go. Huh. And... Uh, so he said, okay, we'll agree to that. And uh, I thought it was interesting. They probably don't ask anyone else, how are you going to get to work? Right. Um, so, I, so, of course, I made sure I was to work, uh, to work early. And I ended up working in the corporate office for uh, seven years until my vision got bad enough. And I, I worked in publicity and promotions and because photography was my um my hobby and that if there was a company picnic or or some promotion we did going on i would bring my camera and uh take pictures and part of what i did was working on premieres red carpet premieres and that so i'd take my camera to that and end up playing paparazzi taking pictures of the (laughs) celebrities and and stuff. So it was, yeah, it was a great, great job. And, you know, I dispelled the myths about I wouldn't be able to get to work because I couldn't, couldn't drive. And, uh, um, it was a challenge, but like I told people, I, 
I liked the job more than I hated the commute. <laughs> and that that was that was true. It was two hours on the bus each way. I know how that goes. Right. Yeah, I know exactly. How that goes. I, I think that's the one thing with with you know, not being able to drive or the worst thing about blindness is that lack of independence and it's it's the spontaneity of just like Wow, let's go get an ice cream. Huh. Oh, mm-hmm. Easier said than done. Where someone else, you know, I'll be over someone's house and they're fixing dinner or something. They're like, oh, I forgot the sour cream. I'll just pop out. I'll be back in five minutes. And they just run across the, to, you know, drive down the street to the store, buy it, and they're back. No big deal. Um, where me, it's like, well, I guess we're not having sour cream in this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So yeah, I d- I did that until until um my vision uh um How did you take the pictures? With a camera? Did you get did you get help or, or um, did you have well, enough vision to see? No, I yeah, that's kind <laughs> of funny. Um so no, I I uh um could see well enough and actually I never really thought of it until after I went blind or or got real low vision. Mm-hmm. But the camera was actually like a, a visual aid, a low vision aid mm. for me. Because if I put a wide angle lens, all of a sudden I didn't have tunnel vision anymore. I It spread my vision. So I could look through the lens and see more than I could see out of my eye. Oh, oh wow. goodness. And, um, and also, you know... My photography teacher in high school and, and in college and that, they said, wow, your pictures are really good. I didn't think about it at the time either, but the tunnel vision gave me almost like a natural frame because mm. like a, a movie uh, director or cinematographer or whatever will walk around with a viewfinder, uh, a little lens that he looks through that gives the angle of, of vision a field of view and all that that the uh, that the cameras will see, so he can look around and see where to set the camera and what what it's like looking through the camera. And of course, this is back in the days before all the video and digital and all that. And I thought, wow, I had a natural viewfinder built <laughs> into my into my eyes. Um, hmm. So, so yeah, so no, I just took them normal, except near the end. I remember the premiere of Dumb and Dumber. It was at the Cinerama Dome in Hollywood. And and because I couldn't drive and the buses didn't run at night, I'd usually ask a friend if they wanted to go see a movie or come to a premiere, which, you know, I never got turned down to, to, bet. <laughs> to go, go to a red carpet premiere or whatever. Um, but I remember at the, at the Dome, I was... I was uh, standing there and my vision was getting blurry uh, enough or it had been getting blurry so it wasn't sharp focus and I had an autofocus camera but I couldn't tell who the person was coming in the door walking down the carpet Mm. so (laughs) my one friend Ralph he was he was really good he would stand behind me and he's like you know Jeff Daniels 12 o'clock, oh. high. Mm. And so h- high or low meant that they were tall or short. So I'd kind of, 
I could see the silhouette or the shot, the outline of the person. Mm -hmm. So I could frame it okay, but I didn't know who I was taking a picture of. Um, and so, so yeah, it would, it would be, uh, it would be kind of funny, you know, Jim Carrey and Jim Carrey's tall, you know, so Jim Carrey high or whatever. And, and, uh, or, you know, Tom Cruise low cause Tom Cruise is shorter, you know, he's mm -hmm. about five, seven or something, five, eight, maybe. So he would tell me that. And, and so that's why I was, I remember, oh, poor Richard Pryor. He came in and he's, he's like, Richard Pryor, real low. And I, I, you know, I aimed low and then I realized, oh yeah, he was in the wheelchair because of his um, Parkinson's, I think he had. <laughs> oh. And uh, so, so, but then once I took the pictures and took him in and got him developed, I could see, I could see up close well enough to, to, you know, see the pictures and tell whether it was a good shot of him or not or, or whatever. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's how I, um, how I took pictures, uh. That's awesome. Until, uh, yeah, until I, um, well, I, uh, yeah, yeah, for work any, anyway. I mean, if I had more time to, to compose a picture and stuff like that, I could see well enough and that. And because I was getting, it was blurry. And that, oh, another symptom of, of RP is, is cataracts. Mm. And that's what I had developed. So I went to the doctor and, and Dr. Heck and Lively, uh, did, um, um, did he do the surgery? Yeah, Jane he did. Then? They did, they did one eye and, and I had, I had, um, shortly, uh, left the theater the business was, was out of work and that. And, uh, so they did the one eye, but you needed a, you know, a few weeks recovery from that. And then when they did the one eye, they did the other eye afterwards. They didn't do them both at the same time and, mm. and that like they do now. And, and that was, oh, when 95, I think it was, cause that's when the OJ uh, trial was on. So yeah, I am, um, I was an expert on watching the OJ trial. <laughs> <laughs> of course I'm not working. I got so after the after the um after the uh um cataract surgery my central vision was clear again. Mm. So I could read the print on the back of a credit card. Couldn't see the whole credit card, but I could read that fine print on the back. So I thought now what am I going to do? So in my infinite wisdom I decided to um work more with graphic design. <laughs> And so I, I went and I took uh, classes at the community college and learned how to use uh, Photoshop and, and Illustrator and Quark Express for magazine layouts and, and um, uh, so free, do you think freehand. You have, do, you think, like, do you have some denial going on, do you think, or...? Probably at the time. <laughs> like... At the time, I didn't really think so. I just thought, oh, I got to just keep doing doing something but i thought well okay i can't see well enough to take pictures and and that and i can't um well i could kind of still see after the cataract surgery but at the time and and the premieres were getting hard just because of the darkness and all of that because mm. most of them are at night um and uh 
The Disney ones were usually during the day. But anyway, the the um so yeah, maybe maybe it was denial, but but I guess I'm kind of stubborn or whatever. <laughs> so I started my own little um uh business called the the right image mm-hmm. and uh would create logos and flyers and brochures and I did I did this logo for this uh it was called Wings Women in Need Growing Strong it was a women's uh, abuse shelter and they did a celebrity fundraiser tennis celebrity tennis match every year and so I designed the logo for that and that was really cool because it was in the newspaper and all the banners had the logo on it and my sh- the shirts that all the staff wore had the logos on it and, oh that's way cool and, and that so yeah it was it was um it was pretty cool and and since i was used to being around the celebrities and stuff that was like no big deal or or you know same old same old thing so i kind of felt like i was back in my niche again and then my vision started getting worse and getting smaller and it was just a couple weeks um before christmas i really wasn't i just pinpoint it was starting to get fuzzy again uh just didn't know what to do and and so i went back to the doctors and said okay doc what what can we do this time and he looked in my eyes and he said um all i can do is sign you a form to get a guide dog he says there's nothing nothing i can do anymore mm. my parents had had taken me um and that i remember coming out of the exam room and and my uh came come out my mom and dad got a, up out of the waiting room and my dad said oh do you need to make another appointment and i said no and uh um made it into the uh you can tell I'm kind of emotional but made it into the elevator and I just started sobbing like a baby Mm -hmm. it was uh um and I guess that's when it really hit me because I didn't know there was any type of blindness training Mm -hmm. or no doctor ever ever said you, you know maybe you should go to the braille institute i knew of the braille institute but i thought you had to be blind to go there i didn't know you could be low vision or or whatever um and so well this this part of people's stories when they have a disability that um is later onset in life is something that always kind of fascinates me because at this point, you kind of got this choice. Like you have a pretty, I have a pretty traumatic thing that's happened to you. Like this, you know, thing whether it's walking or seeing or hearing or whatever it is, right. has like, yeah, yeah, it's suddenly gone. So now, what what is your plan? <laughs> like, well, so I'm I'm you know I go home and it's like well now what am I going to do? Oh, I don't think there's anything I can do. And my friends were saying, well, maybe you should go go to Braille Institute or maybe you should go get some classes or learning. I'm sure there's something like that. And I'm like, no, no, I, you know, I was didn't want to do that. 
Um, do, you, do you know remember why? Why I didn't want to do it? Yeah. Um, I think I was just in, in shock. It was like everything I did was visual. You know, I, if someone said, do you want to go to a movie or go to a concert? It's be like, oh, movie number one. Mm. Um, you know, do you want to, do you want to watch TV or listen to records? Oh, let's watch TV. You, you know, it was, everything was, was uh, visual for me. Not too much long after this. Uh, I turned on the TV and the uh, Barbara, Barbara Walters um, special was on. And she was interviewing Christopher Reeve. Mm. Uh-huh. And this was after he had his, his uh, horse riding accident and mm-hmm. became a quadriplegic and, mm-hmm. and that. And he was explaining the, um, what he has to go through, what his day is like, and how he could, he had to wait for the uh, respirator, ventilator, whatever, fill his lungs with air before he could speak. Mm-hmm. So he could only speak two or three words at a time as as he was exhaling the air and then let the 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 ventilator fill his air his lungs up with air so he had enough to breathe out and more or less you know move his lips to control this this the speed to create the sound and I'm sitting there now I'd met Christopher Reeve and I'm like really this is superman and he can't even walk. What am I complaining about <laughs> that I can't see? Huh. That that was um, kind of the turning point, I think, mm. for me. Was was um, and he was on here, you know, doing the best he could and doing this interview. And he said, "Yeah, I'm going to direct a movie, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and and." you know, is so, so inspirational. Um, and I think if it had been any other actor or something, I would have, but this was Superman. Uh Nothing can hurt Superman. Right. Uh, and I'm, you know, geeky, you know, fan of, (laughs) fan of comics and, you know, Batman, Superman, you know, Star Wars, the, the whole bit. I'm not even sure if it was, it was probably the next day or two. A uh, a friend of mine called and said said Hey Ray, I read this thing in the paper that the Braille Institute is having this seminar or something like like that at the local senior center and explaining what's going on. You know, I think it would really be good if you went to that. And I was like, Well, I don't know. And and she she's like, Well, I don't know. I just read it in the paper here and and thought maybe you should tell you about it. And so I kind of slept on it. So I asked my mom and dad, I told them, and they said, well, well, yeah, we'll take you if you want to go. I'm like, okay, let's, let's go and see what it's all about. This podcast is gratefully dedicated to the people of the disability civil rights movement. Every time we use public transportation, go to work, go to a school event with our children, we are living in the world you made possible.